Hey everybody, this is by no means a regular episode. This is one of those bonus episodes we put out every now and then. And by every now and then, I mean only now, actually. <laughs> but yeah, it is a bonus episode. And we recommend if you haven't heard all of Laughing Dead, go back, listen to all the other episodes. It's a great podcast series. We're proud of all the awesome guests we had on. Some great stories happened within the series. If you've already heard the series, you might remember this. The comedians just have my sympathy <laughs> that anybody who is chosen by forces beyond themselves at a young age to have being a comedian in their destiny. They're just people who need to be cared for. That's Dr. Stuart Grant. He studies performance and comedy at Monash University in Melbourne. It's a dark and doomed and desperate occupation. <laughs> so we're going to be taking this idea of a dark and doomed and desperate occupation to see how that can mess with the mind of someone who chooses to do comedy, like, for example, myself. Um, there is a tiny bit of strong language ahead. And if you do need support, call Lifeline 131114. That's 13 11 14. It's available 24 hours a day. I need to protect myself. I need to know how can I stop myself from having an emotional or nervous breakdown the next time I have a bad gig. Because as you've heard, people go through some shit. People see some shit, they hear some shit, and it hurts, man. I want to be better. I want to make sure that I don't lose my mind. Which is why I had this conversation. Professor Steve Allen. Or is that Dr. Steve Allen? Doctor, associate professor, professor, whatever you prefer. All right, okay. Steve Ellen. Steve yep. is a psychiatrist at the Peter McKellum Cancer Center, as well as a professor at other places and, and basically the, the psychiatrist around town. More importantly, I reckon I'm the shrink from Roots and Cures every Tuesday night on 774 ABC in Melbourne on Lindy Burns show at 8pm. Well done. Thank well you. Well done indeed. Bit of cross-promotion. That's right. Chucked in Always need that. Steve, uh, can I call you Steve? Absolutely. Let's do this. Why do you care about comedians? Because you do. You, you've written an article on just that topic, which is, and as a comedian, I'm, I'm interested in what makes you find us such weird specimens. Well, you know what? I wrote that article for the conversation. You know, it's, a, it's an academic website for my column there called Life on the Couch. And so what I try and do is look at average, everyday, th normal things in our society that we don't get to turn our psychological brains too often. And the thing that triggered that article in particular was the tragic death of Robin Williams by suicide, mm -hmm. because it caused this massive outcry around the traps of every Everyone's saying, how can a guy who's so obviously objectively happy and brings so much joy to the world take his own life? And so that's what triggered me to, you know, have a bit of a look into that topic. And it's something that I just, I've always found fascinating because I love watching stand-up comedians and they so often talk about their difficult childhoods. They so often talk about the links between their own problems. And then, of course, there's been a million fame, you know, not a million, a whole lot of famous comedians. Spike Milligan had bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. Um... Who's a guy who does QI in... Stephen Fry. Yep. Stephen Fry. You know, he's openly talked about his depression, his bipolar disorder, how sometimes when he's laughing, he's thinking about killing himself. He's talked about it. Right. And so it's, it's, it's a really interesting phenomenon that a lot of people have looked into. Well, okay, because as, as a comedian myself, as someone who spent a, a fair bit of time around comedials, if you will, yep. um, that they, we have a weird relationship with the topic, right? I because know. what happens with, with it is the moment... 
the wider community, the world at large, starts saying comedians are sad clowns, tears yep. of a clown, that thing, we all get defensive. We're like, no, we're perfectly fine. You just stop bothering us with that. All my friends, after yep. the Robin Williams thing, all my friends who are not comedians, who I still have a few of those around, um, started messaging me saying, are you okay? Are you going to commit suicide? Are you okay? Will you will you kill yourself? And there is, because they have that concern, right? They're, they're yep. worried. And the uh, the assumption becomes that comedians go on stage, they do these jokes, and then they get into their car and they drive off a cliff. And all comedians are like, no, that's ridiculous. We don't believe in that. Yet, every single one of us, almost, I can say categorically, has dealt with depression at some point. Yeah. And... I've got my own theories and I want to know what you think about this. Well, first this. up, I reckon nearly, okay. you know, first up, you know, that whole thing in the community. I, I've chatted to a comedian about this, Catherine Devaney, about this. And she mm-hmm. says that the whole thing about 50% of the people in the community suffering depression is bullshit because right. it's more like 100. She doesn't know anyone who has it. And right. you know, all of my friends at some stage, if they live long enough, get some element. And of course, do we call it clinical depression or sadness? Who knows? The other thing I really notice is whenever anyone says anything about us as a group, so if anyone ever says to me about, you know, psychiatrists are all mad, we all get all defensive. We go, we're not all mad. That's ridiculous. When we all sit around as a group and it's just us and we're not defending ourselves, we say, oh God, there's a lot of mad people in our... <laughs> and I see the same with comedians. Like, for example, I like listening to Mark Maron. And whenever right. he's on with a comedian and they're talking in that very intimate way that he talks with them and talks about their life, they he always comes back to, oh yeah, you had this shit childhood too. Yeah, me too, man. Yeah, you tell me yours, I'll tell you mine. And it got, and so I think what the, the phenomenon of your experience is that when other people say to you, it feels like an attack, so you defend yourself. But when you're with your other comedians right. and you're being honest and you're sharing because you trust each other and you feel safe, you do talk about the crappy things that has happened. Now, is that more in comedians than anyone else? This is the $50 million, whatever the price value is these days, question. No one actually knows. It's all hypothesis, right? opinion. And very little fact. Look up all the studies. Why and they can't pretty much Why up. can't you just strap a whole bunch of nodes to a comedian's head and st- stuff them in a in a in a machine and and have them do stand up bits to a live audience while the machine tracks their brain? And wouldn't that tell you? All that would tell you is um, someone will give you grant All that money. would tell you is how hard they're thinking. It won't okay. tell you what's gone on in their past. And of course, you know, research is incredibly hard to do with people who are sick or in hospitals and they're a captive audience. Try and, you know, say, look, I want to recruit a thousand comedians. I want to study all these features of them. It's incredibly hard. So people try and study If you pay them it. 200 bucks per gig for a gig, well, they will do it. Let's face <laughs> We're it. We're cheap. 50 bucks would be adequate. <laughs> yeah. um, In Melbourne, but, yes. <laughs> so people look at all these proxy measures. So they say things like comedians are creative. Let's study creativity. Because then you can study creativity in thousands uh. and thousands and thousands of people as a proxy measure. And so there's a whole lot of soft evidence that there does seem to be a link between creative people and higher rates of mental illness. Right. And there's a whole lot of theories. There's probably there's probably like three, four, five major hypotheses that compete as to why it might be that creative people such as comedians are more prone to mental illness. So here's my theories. Okay. All right. Hit me to, with yours have, and I'll see if it right, fits cool. into one of the five. Well, the first one actually connects to what you mentioned, Mark Maron. Mark Maron, the host of the WTF podcast, yep. the famous podcast, which uh, everyone should listen to. And aspire to. Uh, and aspire to, absolutely. <laughs> right. um, I started listening to it years and years ago. Yeah. When it first launched, I was in Pakistan. Um, I was one of the only comedians working as a stand-up comedian there, right? Yep. And as a result, for me to like listen to interviews of other comedians was a way to learn comedy, which is why I kind mm. of started listening to it. And I noticed a weird thing, which is all the comedians who would come on, male and female, would always have one shared element. And at one point, even Mark Maron pointed out, which is 
absent fathers or right. difficult relationships with their fathers. Yep. And I suddenly realized, I'm like, hey, my dad was always on the ship because he was in the Merchant Navy. I grew up with him basically on the ship nine to ten months of the year. I was raised by a mum in almost a single-parent household for most of my life. And that kind of created this weird tension between me and my dad and and the kind of absent father relationship. And so I was like, oh, that's why I'm a comedian. Mm. And it became this thing where like every comedian I now meet over here or, or have spoken to since coming to Australia, common theme. Almost all of them are either absent fathers or difficult relationships with their fathers. And it seems to be that whenever we go on stage, all we're really saying is, Daddy, will you hug me? <laughs> you, know, you know what? I've heard that a lot. I've heard that and it makes some intuitive sense. But the issue is that from a psychological point of view, the thing that you know I'm naturally going to say is chicken or egg. So is there some feature of you of your personality that makes you funny and makes you very difficult to relate to as okay. a father? So imagine I've got a son and like most fathers, you know, I want my son to do something safe and reliable and be well and be happy. And then I see him, you know, cracking all these jokes and being the odd one out and right. being slightly left of field. And I'm going to, you know, son, straighten up, you know, because that's a natural response of father. Yeah, absolutely. So it might not necessarily be that. So it could be it could be one of two things. Comedians are a little bit weird in their personality, and that's what gives them difficult relationships mm-hmm. with their dad. Or their dad is a person who has difficult relationship with his child, and that difficult relationship does something to the child that makes him respond in a way that ends up being a comedian. Oh. Like, for example, the classic thing psychologically is we use comedy as what's called a defense mechanism to protect us from stress, anxiety, and worry. And right. so it's one of the common ones. So, you know, a lot of people under stress will crack jokes. Yeah. And a- another one, for example, is intellectualization. A lot of people under stress will intellectualize. And, oh, well, the reason this is happening is because X, Y, and Z, and the hypothesis reaches the, you know, so different people respond The only ones I respect ways. are the ones who piss themselves under stress because at least that's an involuntary reaction. And, Everyone else yeah. can control them. And how can you not respect someone who pisses themselves? <laughs> right, absolutely. So that's one theory. Is it, you know, it's the, um, the one theory of comedy is the difficult childhood that either because you've got some feature of your personality or because you've got parents who aren't great at relating to mm-hmm. you, that you develop commitment abilities as a defense against the struggles of childhood. All right. Theory number one. Theory number one. All right. So it's theory number two. Theory number two. Have you got a theory number two? The theory number two is the reason why we have the depressive cycles. Yep. Has to do with, you touched upon this in your article as well a little bit. Comedians never remember the good gigs, you remember the bad ones. Oh, and, the, opposite, and, the opposite to gamblers. That's right. Remember the wins. And most of us, if we're professional comedians, have more good than bad gigs. So you think that those will stick out. Yep. But what happens is you get up on stage. And now I'm speaking only for myself. I'm not talking about other comedians. And I'm basically peeling back the curtains to reveal what a megalomaniac I am. Just slide back on the couch. Slide back on the couch. You're in safe hands. When we're on stage, we control the audience. When it's working. Mm. When it's working and it's a good gig. Every laugh the audience has, is, which is an involuntary reaction, laughter is an involuntary reaction, I am controlling. I will control when you breathe, how you breathe. I will control not just your laugh, but what type of laugh. Will you titter? Will you giggle? Will you guffaw? Will you will chortle? You ch- chortle? Will you do any of these? Depending on the way I structure my sentences and words and how I move my hands yep. at the right pace and time and everything. Timing is everything in yep. comedy for that reason. And there can be nothing that's as powerful as that feeling. When you're Mm. on stage controlling a room full of people, every thought and emotion is in your hands and then you wrap it up and you're like, and that's how you empower, you know, feel a sense of satisfaction. Nothing compares to that. So comedians always have their depressive cycles after good gigs, not after bad gigs. After bad gigs, and I've had a lot of comedians on my show now talking about bad gigs Mm. because that's the theme of the show. 
they always have a bad gig then they go and do something else they'll go and they'll eat or they'll go and they'll drink or they'll distract. go to another gig they'll distract themselves mm. but after a good gig you ruminate yes on your life on your comedy and everything and why you can't still feel that addictive high mm. that you had on stage yeah and so the low following that high has to naturally be you know equal opposite reaction yeah. uh but that is why the depression comes because i think i was a more balanced person before i started doing comedy and since i did started doing comedy i become less hinged if you will yeah. and whenever i have a good gig i feel worse after it than when i have a bad one but i'm chasing the good gigs always because that's the high i like yeah i buy that entirely too so that's like the adrenaline junkie who who you know climbs up you know mount everest or you know base jumps off um sky rise buildings right. and in between those times life feels crappy because you're not experiencing those highs so i buy that but the other element that goes with that too i grew up with my father was an actor so mm-hmm. we, he was on stage and uh it the also the performer's lifestyle so nearly all your stand up gigs are at night time yep. nearly always after that incredible high you can't come down so you're going to be a bit sleep deprived mm-hmm. often it goes hand in hand with drugs and alcohol because one a lot of performers use dr- uh, drugs or alcohol to come down like say maybe some marijuana or some alcohol and also a lot use some drugs to get fired up prior to their um performances so not only even if you're not a drug user you get that um right. variation in your mood that means in between those times nothing's ever going to feel as good as that power of holding you know whatever 100 or 1000 people in the palm of your high hands but also along with those incredible highs comes all the risks that our society carries of drugs of addiction and alcohol that just seem to go hand in hand but again and you know the other thing I'd throw in there that's maybe not the same true for mm-hmm. every comedian but for a lot is the fame how you know <laughs> fame is just a really hard thing to handle especially the younger you are the harder it is to handle and worse still when it goes away so that luckily I, think, I haven't had that problem right <laughs> as in it hasn't come yet so it can't oh, go away no, <laughs> go on. I thought you were going to say it hasn't gone away no no it hasn't <laughs> even arrived yet <laughs> i reckon it has um so i reckon so that's part of it it's the performer's lifestyle you can never match those highs mm-hmm. and you're exposed to a whole lot of the um things that, that our society has to throw up that can make you depressed or give you mood swings which i think you're right but especially about the performer's lifestyle because people like like Woody Allen they come yeah. Woody, the Woody Allen, Woody Allen or 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 Robin Williams and everyone they yep. all come from these older generations of comedy where they do the comedy and they'd go out and they'd and they'd get debauched during the night and then the cocaine and the mm. drinking and all of those things yeah well doctors are very much the same after a hard day work no, <laughs> sure not all, that exciting all the surgeons <laughs> getting wrecked on the streets yeah. of the yeah thankfully no all right but that's probably because they realize it's healthier to just not do that which is something i'm seeing more and more in the comedy circles right most of us still have that we go to a gig the gigs are at night you end up having a beer to at the gig yeah. um that's very common mm. but a lot of comedians now work out they go for a run the next day they go for a jog the post gig high or those issues are still there but there's a more awareness about because we've seen the previous generation yeah. there's all these old comics around still who are alcoholics who are gamblers who are yeah. who are just wrecked pieces always chasing the high yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah, and, well, it's great that there's been a recognition and a change because um, yeah, I think so. I think there has been. Yeah. I, I, well, it's a that... job now, you know. Back in 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 relatively recent times, people didn't consider being a performer full stop, let alone a comedian, right. a job. Well, according to the they, government, it's still a lifestyle lifestyle yeah, choice. They, yeah, so. well, they, a lot of people thought of it that way, yeah. and so it was a real lifestyle. Whereas you, you know. 
um, it is, you know, we've got such an entertainment-oriented society now that it has it has sort of changed to a profession, thankfully. And with that comes, you know, a greater sense of, well, you're going to have a family, you're going to, um, you know, have kids, you're going to buy a house. And so that normality, and then you'll think about, you know, the, all those other things that go along with having a job, staying healthy. So one last question, yep. which is, as a comedian myself, mm-hmm. and to the other comedians listening, how do we stay sane? Well, um, I'll answer that in two parts. Because the first part is there's one other reason why comedians might suffer, you know, might be to do with the fact that some mental illnesses make you prone to being funny. In particular, bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. you have highs and lows. The lows don't necessarily make you funny when you're depressed. But when you're manic, manic, a manic person looks a little bit like a person on um, speed or something like that. Right. They talk fast. They jump from topic to topic. They're often incredibly witty. Great little gags, puns and all that sort of stuff. And so there's always – and that's – a lot of famous comedians have had bipolar disorder and a lot of their great comedies when they're mildly manic. When they go mm-hmm. a bit more manic, they lose it and they get disorganized. But when they're mildly manic – so that's the sort of other big theory. you know. So your personality, your upbringing, right. all the lifestyle stuff and there's subtypes and then the other big area is that. So how do you stay well as a comedian? Right. It is pretty much the same as every other job. You've got to be aware of the risks. Like if you're a racing car driver, you've got to be aware that you're driving at you know 200 kilometers an hour and you've got to wear a safety suit. If you're a comedian, you've got to know you're going to be exposed to late nights. You have to do something. You're going to be exposed to having these incredible highs. You have to come up with a way of coming down from those and, and you know normalizing yourself the next day. You have to be aware of the drug issue and the alcohol right. issue and you have to limit it. You have to be aware that um, your sleep and all those things are going to be disrupted. And one of the greatest ways in society to get depressed is to have disrupted sleep. You know, shift workers, night workers. Parents. notorious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they have to come up with plans around that. And so it's all about planning ahead. And, you know, and another classic for people who do night shifts and stuff is diet. You know, they just eat really badly. So if you A lot of gas after, station food, yeah. Yeah. So if you look after the sort of, the, you know, the pillars of mental health, as boring as they sound, but as important as they they are sleep, nutrition, which includes minimizing caffeine and alcohol, oh, exercise, all the good stuff, right. attention to relationships, you know, so you don't let your relationships stuff up because you're out late at night and you've got, you know, 10 hero worshipping guys and girls chasing after you who you sleep with and so you ruin your relationship, et cetera, et cetera. I, uh, you're just defining relationships to me right, right. now, but go and, on. And stress. So <laughs> you've right. got to minimize your stress like anything. So if you've got 15 gigs in a week, that's too many. You've got to, you know, you've got mm-hmm. to limit it. Um, so if you do the same things that everyone else has to do and you treat your um, comedy as a profession and not just as a hobby that you can push, then you can manage it perfectly well. And if you look at yourself and say, well, I have got issues maybe that have driven me at some stage in your life when you're ready, if you want to do something about them, you knock on the door of a psychologist. Thank you very much, Professor. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening to this whole episode of Laughing Dead and all the episodes indeed. Remember, you can always find me at at Samishah, S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H on Twitter and www.samishah.com. That's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H again. And you can email laughingdead at laughingdead at abc.net.au. I love you. I'm going to miss you. Write me, email me, send me an owl, however you can. Bye-bye.